Here at Southern Songs and Stories, one of the takeaways I hope you get from the series is a sense of elision at work in every episode. Beyond the conversations with artists, music professionals, and fans, beyond putting in larger context a point in history or a piece of culture, beyond all the music itself is this three-syllable noun at the root of what you are listening to. The definition of elision at work here is not the first of its three meanings, however, so the omission or slurring of a sound or syllable is not what we are banking on. It is the other meanings of elision that keep coming around, and those are definitions that seem pretty far apart, but are more like opposite sides of the same coin. One is omitting things, like a passage in a book, and the other is joining things, like abstract ideas. The first side of that coin, omitting things, can resemble both the phrase kill your darlings, which is common advice for writers to eliminate anything unnecessary, and the Miles Davis quote, it's not the notes you play, it's the notes you don't play. Southern Songs and Stories episodes always leave a lot of material on the cutting room floor, and there are plenty of things left unsaid, but the intention, and hopefully the result, is to create an even clearer picture with that negative space, with those words left out. The second side of the coin, joining together or merging things, especially abstract ideas, is also on display in the series. For example, the episode on the War and Treaty proposes that their music functions a lot like psychological analysis using a Johari window. Through all these shows, there are metaphors, there are ironies, there is always a broader point to make, and I hope that you get a lot out of this approach and want to come back for more. Here, we merge things more concretely with a three-song set from Kim Ware and Scott Newell. Both are North Carolina artists, but with divergent styles. Kim being a singer-songwriter in the roots rock tradition, and Scott being a guitarist, making all instrumental music in the vein of jazz fusion. They pick songs from each other's catalog to talk about in our conversation, and a mutual favorite that I did not see coming. Another thing that I did not see coming, especially in light of the fact that they did not know each other before taping this episode, is that they are directly related. It's a melding of musical styles and a mini family reunion, all in one, here on Southern Songs and Stories. Southern Songs and Stories is part of the podcast lineup of both Public Radio WNCW and Osiris Media. Osiris creates music podcasts and events to help music fans deepen their connection to the music they love with all of their shows at OsirisPod.com. Osiris works in partnership with Jam Bass, which connects music fans to the music they love and empowers them to go see live music. Capsule versions of Southern Songs and Stories are produced for broadcast on WNCW by me, Corey Askew. More information about this and other podcasts from Grassroots Radio, WNCW at WNCW.org. Welcome to Southern Songs and Stories and our three-song set with Kim Ware and Scott Newell, where Kim picks one of Scott's songs, Scott picks one of Kim's, and they both pick a mutual favorite of another artist to talk about. I've known of Kim's work for far longer than I've known her. We were in some of the same musical circles when we lived in Wilmington, North Carolina in the 1990s. 
But it was only in recent years, when she moved from Atlanta back to where she grew up in nearby Kings Mountain, North Carolina, that I made a connection. Back in Wilmington, Kim was a drummer in bands like Tex Fingali. She also ran the record label Eskimo Kiss, and she remained in the background for years before picking up a guitar in 2006 and starting her own singing and songwriting journey as The Good Graces. Like Kim, Scott Newell chose a different instrument early on as he played trumpet before picking up the guitar as his mainstay. While he lives just two counties over in Charlotte, Scott has never crossed paths with Kim until now. But their paths were always intertwined because as they got to know each other before we recorded this episode, Scott and Kim found out that they have great-grandparents who were brother and sister. Yeah, Joe, I'm going to call you out. Um, I think you uh, are secretly a genealogist on the side (laughs) and figured all this out, and uh, I'm going to get these guys together. (laughs) Well, when when I saw the name Ware, you know, my mom is always talking about the Pfeiffers and the Wares from my distant family. And um, uh, then when I found out Kim was from Kings Mountain, I'm like, well, come on. Uh, there's like 11,000 people there, right? I mean, how many? It's got, there's got to be some kind of connection. And it's, sure enough, I, I uh, talked to my mom and, I, and um, you know, she threw out some names and Kim's like, yeah, that's my uncle, you know? So. Yeah, that that blew me away i think that's so cool too because like i mean my dad my dad passed away a couple years ago and like his family like there's there's not many people left you know and it's like i know a lot of my cousins on my mom's side of the family but i just i don't know i don't know a lot of my relatives from my dad's side and and like now i do (laughs) so that's so cool yeah same here my mom's side of the family um uh, she was orphaned at the age of 12 because uh, her mom died of MS when she was seven. And uh, father had an aneurysm in church uh, when she oh, was 12 wow. years old. <clears throat> so, uh, you know, that the whole side of the family connection is was kind of gone. I feel a little bit like Henry Louis Gates Jr. here and uh, never knew anything about that going into this episode. You know, it's also oddly coincidental But in the show I did with Alexa Rose and Joseph Terrell, in the same format, Joseph talks about the Gaither side of his family, and he wonders if there's a connection with Rosalie Watson's family, and they were were all from Hickory, North Carolina. And that coincided with us putting together the Benefit Christmas show at WNCW, the live concert with a lot of bands in Asheville, benefiting the Habitat for Humanity chapter there. And literally, within a week of hearing that you two are related, I'm talking with Steve McMurray of Acoustic Syndicate, who are headlining and mentioned that Webb Wilder is also playing. And he flips out and says, he's actually Webb McMurray. And all his family traces back to my ancestry here in North Carolina. And he's just totally jazzed that they'll see each other. So small world indeed. And um, maybe I should start a podcast where we all find music artists who are related. Wow. Kim Ware, I'm going to let you go first in our three song set and pick one of Scott Newell's songs. Your choice is the lead off track to his psychoelectric album, And let's hear a little bit of it first. This is Scam Likely.
that. Um, scam, scam likely. <laughs> and we gotta talk about that title too. But yeah, so when I first listened to Scott's music, because I wasn't familiar with it, and um, that came up pretty quickly. I wasn't listening to the album in order, um, but I think that song was like maybe the second one to come up. And instantly it, it caught my attention just with that, that guitar riff at the beginning. And, you know, because I'm a drummer, really. And, like, as soon as the groove kicked in, I was like, oh, man, that's cool. <laughs> I love that. And that just, um, that was the one that I kept coming back to. Um, I think it's like a movie. And that song is a movie to me. Well, thank you so much. <laughs> it is. like, And I'm wondering if you have the same thoughts about it as I do. Because when I listen to it, it's like, okay, there's a car chase. And then <laughs> this morning I imagined like, okay, there's a, there's, there's a guy going, to, going on a first date. And he can't find the place where he's supposed to meet the date. And then somehow those two things combine, like the the car chase. Maybe he finally finds her, and then they're eating outside, and then the car chase interrupts everything. <laughs> I don't know, but it's yeah, it's it's very cinematic to listen to, and like it's just got it's, there. It's so much. It takes you so many places. It's great. Well, thank you so much. Um, that's amazing. Uh, you know, you know, I uh, I do kind of think cinematically, and I was having that conversation with Jim Jim Brock. Um, okay. If you don't know Jim. Uh, everybody around Charlotte certainly does. Uh, he is a percussionist and drummer. Um, was played with loads of people. If you look him up on All Music or Discogs or whatever, uh, the list is a half a mile long or two miles long. Um, and Jim plays percussion on that song. And um, I, I can't say enough about him. Everybody does. And there's a reason for that. He, he's just so creative and he has such big ears and he's also uh so supportive you know um people aren't exactly falling over themselves for instrumental original music um so when you get that type of encouragement from somebody like jim uh it just makes you want to go back to work you know keep doing it um but yeah the the whole cinematic thing uh it's got to be like that because there are no words <laughs> Um, and you're, you know, you're picking up on the guitar riff. That's really how most of my tunes start is it's just from me sitting playing the guitar, you know, um, since I was nine or 10 years old, I just sit and play and I've never had a problem getting started. I would just sit down and place whatever I'd learned and whatever my capabilities are at the time. <clears throat> uh, I would just you know, riff on that and. I remember sitting at the bar coming up with those two chords as that's all it is in the beginning is those two chords but I'm alternating the picking and you know grab the phone and record that little snippet like oh that sounds like something and put that on you know I have like all any given time 40 50 ideas on the phone and when I make myself sit down to write which is that's the hardest part <laughs> you know um, then I go through those things and say okay what what do I think is the coolest thing on here and maybe what two things or three things would go together and then try to compose them into uh, something with some kind of arc, you know, uh, turn it into a song. Yeah. That's, yeah, I love the, um, 
there's a lot I love about it. But yeah, I mean, obviously that that riff really grabbed me. And then I think it's it's about not quite halfway through the song. One of the like I call it, you know, like a lead solo thing. It is a is it a synth or are you playing it on guitar and it sounds like this synth? Um, well, there are two solos. Uh, Rachel go, go Rachel goes first. Right, that's Rachel Eckroth. Okay. Who um, she uh, currently lives in Los Angeles and is married to bassist Tim Lafave. Um, mm-hmm. And she uh, she is a force. <laughs> um, it's great. Yeah. Yeah. She's her latest gig was with Saint Vincent. If that gives you any kind oh, of cool. idea of the level of musicianship she's on. Scott Newell's song, Scam Likely, from his album, Psychoelectric. Kim Ware's pick to talk about on our three-song set on Southern Songs and Stories. I never expected to find all these family connections between Scott and Kim, and Steve and Webb, and maybe even Joseph Terrell and Rosalie Watson, and it almost went one better when I talked to my own mother and found out that I have a Kendrick relation to the Wares back a few generations, too. But it turned out to be a different set of Wares. At least, that's what it looks like. Genealogy can get really slippery the farther back you go. And one thing that you may or may not find surprising about this topic is that where Kim and I live in Cleveland County, North Carolina, and lots of rural places in the South, and I'm sure elsewhere in America, almost all the people that are natives are related in some way. Thinking about here in Western North Carolina, it was mostly a wilderness until well after the Civil War, and there were not but so many people to go around. For example, in 1870, the population of the whole county was less than 13,000 people, which is not much more than the number currently in Kim's hometown of Kings Mountain. The other thing that I did not expect was to be talking about a George Michael song on this show. That is still to come, as well as Scott Newell talking about the second song in our three-song set from Kim Ware and the Good Graces album Prose and Consciousness, the song Marfist to Point.
I listened to everything I could find uh, in Kim's catalog. But I kept going back to that one um, because uh, it, you know, I like songs um, with very economic lyrics. Um, and this song has that going on. There, There's a line and you you have time to think about it before the next line. You know, and musically, sonically, it's very ambient. And I'm a huge Daniel Lenoir fan. Um, a fan of his production and all the different records he's done. And that's sort of a musical um, scape that he creates. And um, chatting with Kim a few days ago, come to find out her uh, partner is uh, a huge Daniel Lenoir fan too. And, you know, that that's probably where that connection comes from. And uh, it made me want to know more about what, what, I don't know what Mar Vista Point is, that it sounds like a cool place. Um, you know, and she, in the song, she talks about how it kind of inspires her. So I want to know more about what, what the inspiration was and what that comes from. Yeah, I mean, Mar Vista Point is, is it's kind of a combination of two things that then I made a place in my head. Um, so about a, probably about a year before I wrote that song, um, I had done a short tour out in California and me and a, a friend that plays guitar with me some, John, we went out to California and played some shows and stayed with a good friend of ours, um, Nancy, Nancy Gardos, um, great songwriter out in the Mar Vista neighbor, neighborhood of LA. Um, beautiful neighborhood and it was a beautiful time and I have such fond memories of that trip so I love California so being out there when we were driving up the coast you know there's often stops that the sign says Vista Point and you can pull over take pictures so I kind of combined those the Mar Vista and Vista Point for this <laughs> sort of imaginary place in my head that's what Wait. it is <clears throat> yeah. Well, I I pictured like this misty mountaintop, you know, with a huge, huge view where you could just sit and be with your thoughts and uh, and write or just just take it all in, you know. And yeah. the the song it's not complex. There are only two chords, I think. Um, yes. But it but it's not boring, you know. Um, that that's that's hard to do. I think is to um, take something that. Um, is doesn't go all over the place, but it still takes you someplace. And, yeah, uh, and that was that was kind of conscious to keep my part really simple, because I think kind of part of the vibe of the song is just like letting go of stuff you don't need, sort of, you know. And like mm -hmm. now things are simpler, and now things are the way they should be. Um, and but then definitely wanted to in the studio wanted to like you were saying add as add as much like just fun ear candy stuff to it to make it really like soundscapey because that's kind of my favorite thing is like that combination of just like acoustic based stuff but when you add all that atmospheric stuff to it um, I love that and it is a it is kind of a departure because um, you know just the structure of it and everything. And just that one in the studio, it was very much about like sculpting 
the sound and the sonics of it. It was less about just like the song and and like the structure. Um, so that one was so much fun to just craft and and get it there. Um, and I remember when I wrote it, I also something that inspired it. I was taking a mindful leadership class for work, <laughs> and one of the one of the things that um, stuck out to me in that class that I wanted to hold on to and remember was they said that like there's four tenets of mindful leadership: focus, clarity, compassion, and creativity. And so it's like an F and three C's. And I was trying to remember that because I remember when the instructor was saying that, I, I thought to myself, well, I think if you approach most any job or task with that, whether it's like you're a manager or a leader or not, if you can bring those four elements to it, you'll probably be successful or at least, you know, get something good out of it. So anyway, I was trying to remember, like, what, what are those four things again? And I kept dropping like one of the C's. And so I was like, I was just strumming those two chords one night and I was like, okay, I'm gonna try to put those four words in a song so I can remember them. And it it worked. Because <laughs> now I can, I can always remember them. <laughs> well, it's a great tune. Yeah, it's a, it's a great tune. And like I said, it takes you somewhere else. Um, uh, like a Peter Gabriel song or or something like that, you know. Um, uh, any any anything that that takes you somewhere else. I mean, that's what the music's supposed to do, and um, you definitely nailed that. Well, thank you. And uh, it, like I, like I said, it's not it's it's simple, but it it's not boring, and it and it's always unresolved. Because like um, the not to get too music theory nerdy on you, but you're using the fourth and the third a lot in your in those lines so uh you're singing the fourth and you, the third is sort of unresolved and it's harmonic of the root um so there's always that tension there um and, and that that makes it flow on and on and on and on to me yeah that's cool thank you
And now we get to the surprising, at least surprising for me, the song you both picked for Common Ground, and that's George Michael's Praying for Time. Gosh, so much we could say about this. We could have an entire podcast devoted to this song, I think. But yeah, I um, I love, like, I go pretty deep whenever I'm researching anything or, like, a, meeting a new person and that kind of internet stalking them, I guess. And so, so before I talked to Scott, I was just, like, kind of scrolling through his inst- Instagram and making like a mental note of he posts a lot about music and like whatever he's listening to I guess at the time and I was kind of making a note about anything that stood out that was something that that I really had an appreciation for and I mean it's funny because like you know listen to his music um it doesn't seem like we would have that many like musical um interests in common but I found quite a bit and quite a bit stuck out that I was you know, a big fan of, but I noticed, I think he posted a couple times about that album, Listen Without Prejudice, and um, I just kept thinking about it, and I hadn't listened to it in a while, but it's always been one of those albums that stood out as just, like, one one of the great records, um, that I'd been exposed to, really. And it just started thinking about... Like, that came out in 1990. So, I had... I was just in my first year of college. So, I had not yet been exposed to, like, quote, alternative music at that time. Like, the extent of that, I think, like, R.E.M., The Cure, that was kind of like my gateway to kind of like college, college rock and stuff, but... Like, I was very much just raised on, like, 80s pop music on the radio. And so, yeah, I was very familiar, obviously, with Wham! and George Michael. And I think I had an expectation when his new album came out of what it might sound like. And um, I remember I got it on cassette. And just instantly, you know that with that song, Praying for Time, because it's the first track on the album, like, it's like, oh, whoa this is not gonna be what I expected. And, like, this, it makes me a little emotional to, to even talk about it and listen to this, this song because, I mean, I think, you know, anybody, any songwriter hopes that they can write something that's very specific but also universal and that's very, like, captures a point in time but is also timeless and he so did that and just to think that like I think I read that he was like 27 or something when that album came out and to me it's just like wow I think of somebody in their 20s writing something so deep and just looking at the lyrics today and everything that like our country and and the world has gone through the past few years it's like it 
he just did it. It's like it's the lyrics are so timely and timeless and it's beautiful. Um so yeah, I can't say enough good. I think that song is just one of the best songs ever written. I think um Kim is touching on on the depth thing, you know, and um same experience for me. I was about 20 years old when it came out and um <clears throat> everybody knew him from the prior stuff and kind of the dance party vibe or good time music or whatever and then that thing comes out and it just knocks you out because uh it's so soulful and the whole record is great now i will say you know there are probably two songs that keep it from being utterly timeless because they're a couple of those tracks with that beat or those couple of beats from the 90s that so heavily recycled and you hear it again you're like oh there it, there it is again um otherwise uh it's amazing and um fun fact he played bass on that record mm, wow. um he's an amazingly skillful bass player playing upright bass too um really so wow, uh cool. yeah i mean uh i mean he was such a talented dude and it it's so tragic um that he's not around anymore um I mean, who else could sub for Freddie Mercury and Queen, right? I mean, he, if you've ever seen that, uh, go to YouTube and watch his performance. Uh, I don't remember the song. Maybe it's Under Pressure or something like that. But uh, he's just killing it. And um, what a huge talent. And there's, there's the, every song on that album just about is uh, just a knock-you-out song. And um, I'm trying to think of, of some of the other tracks. I'm terrible with track song names uh, but do yourself a favor go pull that album up and and listen to it end to end something that you probably did not expect to hear on Southern Songs and Stories, the 1990 hit from the son of a Greek Cypriot restaurant owner in England who was known as George Michael. Fun fact, George Michael started out in a ska band called The Executive before becoming famous in the 1980s as one half of the duo Wham! with his old schoolmate Andrew Ridgely. Thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoyed this episode. We plan on producing more three-song sets in the near future, and I hope you might let us know what you think of the format. You can contact us on our social media via Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook, and you can also drop a line by emailing southernsongsandstories at gmail.com. Please take a moment to follow the series on the podcast platforms you're using. It will help even more when you give us a top rating and even more so with a good review, because the show's visibility to everyone using those platforms depends largely on followers, ratings, and reviews. Southern Songs and Stories is part of the podcast lineup of both Public Radio WNCW and Osiris Media. With all the Osiris shows available at osirispod.com, you can also hear new episodes of this podcast on Bluegrass Planet Radio at bluegrassplanetradio.com. Thanks to Corey Askew for producing the radio adaptations of this series on WNCW, and to Joshua Ming, who wrote and performed our theme songs. 
I'm your host and producer, Joe Kendrick, and this is Southern Songs and Stories, the music of the South and the artists who make it. <laughs>